Welcome to the Charleston Time Machine. I'm Nick Butler, historian at the Charleston County Public Library. Today we're going to travel back to the year 1765 and listen to the words of Lord Adam Gordon, who visited Charleston and the Low Country of South Carolina as part of an extended tour of the American colonies. Adam Gordon was born around the year 1726, the fourth son of Alexander, second Duke of Gordon. A native of Scotland, Lord Adam entered the British military at an early age, and in 1763 he was promoted to colonel of the 66th Regiment of Foot, a position he held until 1775. In the early 1760s, he was stationed briefly in the West Indies, Before returning home, the 38-year-old Lord Adam sailed to Florida and began a long, slow northward tour through the other American colonies. He arrived in Charleston by way of Savannah in early December 1764 and lingered here in the Lowcountry until the middle of March 1765. After his return to Britain, Lord Adam never returned to the colonies or the United States, and his long travel diary was forgotten among his papers. He died in 1801, and his manuscript journal eventually found its way to the British Museum. In 1916, it was finally published among a collection of other colonial-era travel accounts, which you can find online through the Library of Congress. If you visit my blog, Charleston Time Machine, I'll provide a link to the 1916 transcription. So, let's travel back to the spring of 1765 and listen to Colonel Lord Adam Gordon's impression of Charleston and the surrounding low country. I arrived at Charlestown, the metropolis of South Carolina, on the 8th December 1764, having landed at Beaufort in Port Royal Island some days before from Savannah River, which divides it from Georgia, as an imaginary line does this province from North Carolina. It is, of all the southern provinces, the most considerable on account of the number of inhabitants, the quality and the variety of its productions and exports, and the good condition of its inhabitants. There seems to be, in general, but two classes of people, the planters, who are the proprietors, and the merchants, who purchase and ship the produce. Rice and indigo are the two grand staples of this province, of which very great quantities are annually made and exported to Europe and elsewhere. It has been augmenting annually in numbers, wealth, and industry since the crown purchased out the lord's proprietors, and as none of its exports or productions interfere with those of the mother country, it will be prudent in her to give this province all possible encouragement. Almost every family of note have a town residence, to which they repair on public occasions, and generally for the three sickly months in the fall, it being a certainty that the town of Charlestown is at present the most healthy spot in the province. Fevers and other disorders are both less frequent in it and less virulent in their symptoms. This is attributed to the air being mended by the number of fires in town, as much as to its cool situation on a point at the junction of two navigable streams called Ashley and Cowper, or Cooper, rivers. The inhabitants are courteous, polite, and affable, the most hospitable and attentive to strangers of any I have yet seen in America, 
very clever in business, and almost all of them, first to last, have made a trip to the mother country. It is the fashion indeed to send home all their children for education, and if it was not owing to the nature of their estates in this province, which they keep all in their own hands and require the immediate overlooking of the proprietor, I am of opinion that the most opulent planters would prefer a home life. It is in general believed that they are more attached to the mother country than those provinces which lie more to the northward, and which, having hardly any staple commodities of their own growth, except lumber, stock, and horses, depend mostly on smuggling molasses and other contraband commodities. The town of Charlestown is very pleasantly seated, at the conflux of two pretty rivers, from which all the country produce is brought down, and in return, all imported goods are sent up to the country. The streets are straight, broad, and airy. The churches are handsome. The other places of worship are commodious, and many of the houses belonging to individuals are large and handsome, having all the conveniencies one sees at home. There is a law against building houses out of wood, which, like other laws in other countries, nobody observes, however. The most considerable buildings are of brick, and the others cypress and yellow pine. The houses now are about 1,500 in number, but increase annually in a very surprising manner. Their bar at the entrance of the harbor, which is very intricate, seems their only defense, for though they have a fort below the town, and a kind of earthen rampart, and some tabby works round particular parts of Charlestown, yet it would not be tenable against attacks of shipping or from the land, and therefore must fall a prey to any enemy the moment we lose our superiority at sea. A 40-gun ship has been in the harbor, but small frigates and sloops are generally employed on that station. The town of Beaufort, situated on Port Royal Island and the Sound, has more depth of water on its bar, but being on an island, there is a difficulty of bringing down the exportable commodities, which will forever prevent its rivaling Charlestown in wealth or grandeur. On the northern part of South Carolina stands Georgetown, a pretty little town near Winya River, not far from Pedy, Black River, and Waccamaw, which river, I should think, would make a more sure and commodious boundary between the two Carolinas than any limits they now have. The back country towards the Cherokee Mountains and Cherokee Nation is all healthy and fertile land, producing large oak and other deciduous timber, and is finely watered without much sand or pine barren but it is not yet fully peopled. In general, what part of South Carolina is planted is counted unhealthy, owing to the rice dams and swamps, which, as they occasion a great quantity of stagnated water in summer, never fails to increase the number of insects, and they produce fall fevers and eggs, dry gripes and other disorders, which are often fatal to the lower set of people, as well white as black. Within these two or three last years, a pretty considerable quantity of flax and hemp has been raised by the Germans and other back settlers, which, as well as the produce of a considerable part of North Carolina, comes down to Charlestown in wagons drawn with four horses, two abreast, perhaps the distance of 300 miles. This would appear extraordinary at home, 
but it must be remembered that they live at no more expense when traveling than they would at home, since they lie in the woods all night, make a good fire to dress their bacon, and turn their horses loose near them till daylight, after which they proceed on their journey and carry back in return what goods they stand in need of themselves, or for their neighbors in the back settlements. It is pretty singular to remark that the number of white inhabitants fit to bear arms in one of their back counties, called Craven County, does, at present, exceed what was the number of fighting men in all the province seven years ago. From this, I conclude that the farther you go back from the seaboard in America, the more fertile the land is and the more healthy the climate. For there the people increase and breed and rear up more children than towards the pine barren and sandy shores. The tide swamp land in these southern provinces is by much the most valuable, since when they are properly banked in and your trunks and dams are in perfect good order, by a judicious use of these advantages, it is alternately equally capable and fit to produce the two great staple commodities, that is, rice and indigo, the first requiring an uncommon degree of moisture or water, and the last dry and rich land, although the light land very near the shore will fetch a very surprising crop of indigo for two or three years, but it must then be thrown out and left to time to recover its fertility. Poultry and pork, particularly hams, are excellent here. Beef and mutton, middling, and fish, very rare and dear. The general drink of the better people is punch and Madeira wine, and many prefer grog and toddy. All the poor, and many of the rich, eat rice for bread, and give it even a preference. They use it in their cakes, called journey cakes, and boiled, or else boiled Indian corn, which they call hominy, and of this they have two sorts, the great and the small, the last I think the best. Upon the whole, this is undoubtedly one of the most opulent and most increasing colonies in America, and bids fair to exceed all the others if it advances in the like proportion as it has done for forty years past. The unhappy differences which have subsisted for some years past between Governor Thomas Boone and the Commons House of Assembly, and are not yet set to rights, have been the means of this country not standing so well at home, as other ways they would have done, and as they really deserve to do. I left Charlestown the middle of March 1765, and proceeded on to North Carolina through a very bad country, from Waccamaw River to Brunswick. Today we heard a description of Charleston and the surrounding low country of South Carolina, as recorded by Colonel Lord Adam Gordon in the spring of 1765. I hope you enjoyed this first-hand account of the area, written just a decade before the beginning of the American Revolution. There are scores of similar eyewitness descriptions of our community, written by travelers who passed through our neighborhood in ages past, and I think they make excellent time travel devices. To put it another way, descriptions like this one written by Lord Adam in 1765 make excellent fuel for the Charleston time machine, and I hope you've enjoyed this journey.
Kevin Crothers is the executive producer of this program for WYLA at the Charleston County Public Library. I'll be back on the air next week with more adventures in Lowcountry history. But if you'd like to join me in person for a live presentation, check out the library's calendar of events at ccpl.org or visit my blog, charlestontimemachine.org. Thanks for listening. This is Nick Butler, and I'll see you in the future.